Welcome back to Ivan's DC Podcast, a podcast here at Hogan Lovells where we talk about the people, things, food, all the things that make Washington, D.C. a great place to work. It's been a while and we've had to deal with COVID-19, so we thought that we would approach this differently. So I'd like to introduce my new co-host for Ivan's DC Podcast. We'll have to come up with a new name. So if anybody has names, go ahead and email them to me. We'll come up with a new name down the line. But my new co-host, Mark Erian. So Mark, welcome to the podcast. Tell us quickly about yourself and we'll get dive right into it. Great to be joining you, Ivan. So I'm Mark Urian, and I head up Hogan Lovell's Strategic Communications Practice Group and am part of the Government Relations Public Affairs Group, of which Ivan is the practice leader. Terrific. Thanks. And, and, and again, welcome, Mark, and look forward to some great discussions of some great guests um, along the, uh, you know, in, in the next couple months. So I thought we would kick it off for our first topic to talk about infrastructure. Right. So I, I can't remember what they say when there's a pope. Right. I think it's like a Bemos Papas or something like that. And the white smoke <laughs> comes up. So everybody here in Washington, D.C. has been waiting for a long time to see if we get an infrastructure bill. And I haven't seen the white smoke, but it certainly looks like they may be firing up the oven. What do you think, Mark? Well, I think that's right. And I think what's really interesting, Ivan, is, you know, so many predictions, even within our own group that you know predominantly the the over and under was that this thing is dead it's not going to happen and yet here we are on the precipice of it actually happening and i think there's a there's a really interesting observation to make about that and it's it just is a demonstration of the you know the art of politics and the the difference between that and campaign rhetoric you know, it's like so many people who now are in politics seem to think their job is mostly to always be in the campaign mode, you know, throwing insults, tearing down the opposition, you know, just lobbing bombs uh, that they hope will stick and be anchors around their their opponents' feet in the next cycle. But we got this bill, I'm convinced, precisely because President Biden you know, refused to do that and stayed focused on a message and bipartisanship. And he took arrows from, you know, his own side and from McConnell and others. But, you know, I think he just really refused to take the bait and start to demean Republicans. You know, you're, we're seeing a lot come out from the White House right now just about, you know, how hard they work, the countless hours the president and the cabinet put in private conversations on both sides of the aisle. And he personally worked the details of the bill. So, you know, he compromised, took half a loaf. Now we have a bill and it's very old school, but that's politics at its best. Yeah, you know, Mark, it's interesting because as we talk to our clients and we talk to uh, people around town that are important to our clients, you know, I, I've, I've struggled with how to explain to people that the uglier things get in Washington, D.C., under normal circumstances, because let's just admit that we've lived four years that, quote unquote, mm -hmm. don't fall under our normal circumstances. But mm -hmm. under normal circumstances, and this may be the, norm, the, the new normal, the uglier things get between leadership and uh, members of Congress, 
the more likely that something will come out. Like I've always, I've always, I've always said that at the end of the day, you know, as long as people are leaving their passions, their rhetoric, their, you know, they're calling people out on the house and Senate floor, you know, and they get up the next morning and they go back at it, that things can actually happen. Right. And that's the way things have happened for a long time. And I think we're starting to see that. I think you're exactly right, because when they're ugly and you're hearing about it, it means people are talking. And when things don't happen, it's when they stop talking. You know, bipartisanship isn't about, you know, there were lots of complaints that the bill was, you know, too big. Um, and therefore, Joe Biden was had already abandoned his bipartisanship. Well, bipartisanship isn't about ceding to your opponent's uh, will. It's about talking and listening. And then when things break down, talking and listening some more. And so I think we, we just saw something that looked really ugly, but was a study in the art of bipartisanship and compromise. Yeah. And, and, and staying on the infrastructure bill for a second there, Mark. You know, I also think, and again, I was trying to, I've been trying to describe this to clients and and other people that we work with around town, because it's very peculiar how you approach a a situation like we have right now with the, like, just incredibly heated rhetoric and, you know, sort of the sense of like, I'm taking my ball and going home you know, and on both sides and different parts of both parties. And how do you approach that to try and get stuff in or take things out or help shape policy, right? It's a, mm-hmm. it's a really difficult environment. So I've tried, to, I've tried to explain that it's always been my sense that in a situation like this, when things get really ugly, again, which is a weird thing to say, but it's true, when things get really ugly, you know, something may happen, right? Yeah. Because, you know, because that's, that's what we pay people to do and people on Capitol Hill know the drill, right? Like these yeah. things can happen, you know, but by the same token, usually the outcome of something like this, yeah, right? For it to be done correctly, usually the outcome is that nobody's quite happy about what comes out. Yeah. Well, that's success, right? <laughs> yeah. So. It, it, you know, I think it's success and, and, and part of, you know, p- part of what, 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 you know, so like the politics, I think we've figured out here. Right. Like we're, we're moving on something. Right. Mm-hmm. But the other part, which is kind of a train wreck, Mark, and you've been around town um, as long as I have. But the other part that's kind of a train wreck is that particularly in the Senate, when you take the work away from the committees of jurisdiction and put a bunch of folks that aren't on those committees in charge of writing a bill, that's a train wreck, mm-hmm. particularly for those of us that are trying to advocate. on. Yeah, well, it is. But let me ask you something, Ivan. You know, when when this thing seemed to have eight deaths, but then, you know, a ninth live and it's going to happen, what, is, what does that mean for what else might be possible that people think are, you know, had written off as impossible? Well, I mean, first, I, I agree with you that I think we're moving forward on appropriations. And, you know, I think we're going to start to see the, the first couple steps for reconciliation. You know, but if history has taught us anything in the last decade or so, is that August is just a tricky month for everything, right? Like, so, I, I you know, I'm not going to predict this, but I'll go ahead and say that it's possible. Right, that sometime during August, like something just gets weird, 
right over <laughs> the infrastructure bill because it always does, right? Like, mm -hmm. so like, you know, like when you're thinking about, when you're thinking about recess, when you're thinking about recess, you're also thinking about like, ugh, that's a month where like, you know, again, back to what we do, right, mm -hmm. Mark? That's that's the right. month where, we, where we're just sort of like, okay, well, that's a whole month of like, let's go find, you know, town halls. Let's run ads back at home. Let's, 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 you know, let's do all these things outside of Washington, D.C. And, you know, we're in Washington, D.C. and everybody that we know is like going to the beach or going somewhere and, you know, playing golf four times a week. But yeah. there's a whole cadre of other professionals around the country who are putting influence yeah. and we've seen them be very effective during August. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Anything that isn't buttoned down or passed, that, that's a month where things can get unraveled from oh, yeah. pressure back at the at the parades and and uh, town halls yeah so this is you know like if this was like a soccer game like you know you, you're you're in the second overtime and you know that this is going to be penalties and the goalies may end up having to kick on this one that's that's yeah. that's the final that are the finish that i'm predicting you know for the infrastructure bill you know the reconciliation bill which is you know the second part of this um, you know, I, I think Democrats are very optimistic about it, right? And obviously, mm -hmm. they gave up a lot of what they needed to do to get in the infrastructure, the, in the infrastructure bill, with the hopes that it could get into the reconciliation bill. You know, but as I talk to people, you know, as I talk to people, and I hear, uh, you know, I hear from folks, you know, I think that's going to be more tricky. You know, and I've, uh, you know, I know, I know, Mark, that, you know, we, we around the office have talked a lot about what, like, the, the real tricks, what's the number going to be? Is it going to right. be 3.5? Is it going to be 2? Is it going to be 1.5? But I think, you know, I, th I, th I think reconciliation, they'll give it a shot, you know. Um, and then at that point, at that point, I just, I, I feel like at that point, like the political capital that, the Biden administration and Democrats have is is, is going to be kind of depleted, right? Mm -hmm. So like it's going to you know like then then you've got all these things that you got to do, right? Got to you know extend the debt limit, you've got to fund the government, you've got to have an NDAA, and you'll have a whole host of other issues, whether it's the China bill, you know, the John Lewis bill, all things voting rights, policing reform, immigration, drug pricing antitrust, eviction moratorium, if that needs to take a different student loan relief. There, there's, there's a lot of things that the majority would like to get done. I just fear that there's going to be, you know, uh, much less political capital going into next year. But what, what do you think, Mark? You're undoubtedly right. And that's the smart answer. But I, I do tend to be an optimist. And I do think that a lot of times success begets success, and that maybe what we just are witnessing here on how you know Biden started at a three trillion dollar infrastructure bill and is settling for something that's substantially under one trillion, but is declaring it a you know a true bipartisan victory. I think that's maybe the roadmap for for where uh, reconciliation goes. Maybe that's naive. But, you know, there's going to be a lot of people on his side that think that they're going to get everything that they didn't get in infrastructure in reconciliation. But there's still Manchin and there's still Senator Sinema. And there's going to be some of those same forces that move it towards the middle and they get a third of a loaf. And we call it a victory again. 
maybe that's naive, but uh, I, I, I'm kind of an optimist. Yeah, no, I admire I, I admire your optimism, and I'm I'm willing to think that that's possible, right? That that these things move forward. But let's also talk a little bit about like the monster that reconciliation you know could be, and if you add NDAA, could also be for mm-hmm. our clients and for people around town, right? Because if when you're talking about reconciliation, uh, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna date myself now. But mm-hmm. really like back in you know back when I first started at this, like you, you we, the, the monster was always lamed up, right? So it was right. we're talking to our clients and we're, we we couldn't figure out like you know how to get it into different vehicles that were on the floor that day. Like you know the answer always was okay, we're gonna and and members of Congress too, right? Like they're trying to get their stuff done and they would get promises we'll deal with this in lame duck, right? Mm-hmm. So my lame duck sessions always became these monster sessions. with just so much trying to get in there. And I think in the last couple of years, one of the things that we've seen is that NDAA has become, you know, uh, similar to what back in those days, uh, lame duck was. Because it's the only must pass thing. It's the only must pass thing. It's the only must pass thing. And and it's also, you know, and it's also big, right? Mm -hmm. It's big. So, you know, people are trying to, you know, they're trying to add drug, you know, drug pricing. And, you know, I can't imagine the number of things that they're going to try to add. But then you add a second view, which is reconciliation. Reconciliation is subject to what the parliamentarian, you know, believes should be in there, should not be in there. I mean, I know there's yeah. rules to it, but it comes down to whatever the parliamentarian says. But like, yeah, everybody's going to be trying to get stuff into that as well. So you've got two monster vehicles going into the fall. Yeah. Oh, so for you know clients around town, there's there's lots of swings at the cat. Um, whether you're trying to protect against something or, or get something in, you're right. This is going to be, uh, you got to stay buckled in. Oh, yeah. And, and, and I think, you know, Mark, and just switching to politics a little bit, you yeah. know, because I think, you know, it's interesting, you know, I think we're, we're going into the sort of, you know, uh, you know, honeymoon year of the presidency, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, that's in my book, usually the book into that is August. Right. So things become much harder. It's a different time. So we got COVID. We've got a lot of things, you know, that may extend that. And there were a lot of unpredictables. Nobody knows what's going to happen to inflation. Nobody was going to know what's going to happen to the economy. But at the end of the day, we can almost predict that once we come back after August, giving how little time, as you've pointed out to me many times, how little time is left on the House and Senate floor after August, that the focus is going to be on politics, right? Yeah. All of a sudden at that point, you know, at that point, unfortunately it's the life we've chosen for ourselves. But at that point, like, you know, I'm assuming speaker McCarthy is going to be like the speaker designee, right? He's sort mm-hmm. of like, you know, like, you know, the, the dynamics of the chambers change based on what people are going to think are going to happen in a year. And it does quickly. Yeah, true. Well, we get, we certainly had a big night last night in terms of, you know, painting a, a portrait of what the next cycle is going to look like with Ohio's uh, primary. Um, clearly, you know, President Trump demonstrated that, you know, with with Kerry, Mike Kerry winning in Ohio 15, uh, very crowded primary, that he's got a firm grip on the party. But you can't ignore the fact that that was a, that was a significant primary with Chantel Brown versus Nina Turner, 
where everyone was predicting that the Sanders and Ocasio-Cortez candidate, uh, Nina Turner, was, was going to smoke Brown. But she came back with a 50-45 victory. And, you know, it just, it just shows that the, the core of the Democratic Party in many parts of the country is still centrist uh, in nature. They're not, they're, they're not socialists. And, you know, uh, it's, a, it's, it's Biden's primary victory a year ago just being repeated. And, uh, you know, so what's the message from that? I think, you know, in uh, 22, I hope that the campaign message is how much centrists and progressives work together under President Biden's leadership to get all these things done and not, you know, just like shooting at the administration or, or centrists about, you know, all the unattainable things that, you know, were left on the cutting room floor. Because that really feeds the, you know, Democrats are an insurgent socialist party rhetoric that, you know, Republicans will run on. Yeah, well, that's certainly the storyline, you know, and, and we'll, you know, for our next one, we, we should definitely have some of our Republican colleagues so they can keep us honest here. Yeah, um, sure. I, I can't really speak on behalf of Republicans. They don't like it when I do. Um, <laughs> you know, but, you know, but, but it's certainly the storyline that, you know, that Republicans will sort of portray no matter what it is, right? So, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, in my, in my view as a Democrat, as somebody who I think, you know, I get a good sense of, you know, um, how the party operates. I have a point of view as to who actually controls the party, and it's it's very different than the way Republicans see it, right? Mm-hmm. And and I think that for our clients and for people that are trying to advocate in Washington D.C., this is actually a really important point, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you look at the policies that are coming out of the White House, that are coming out of Congress, they are more progressive than Republicans, right? Mm-hmm. You know, but you know who they're not progressive enough for, Mark? <laughs> Progressives, right? Right. right? So, exactly. like, you know, so the progressives actually, you know, like if if you and I were sitting here talking to a couple of, of progressive folks that I know, they would sit there and go, "Yeah, no, the part the the party, you might as well." You know, which was kind of why Nina Turner lost, right? Because she was sort of like, there's no difference between Republicans and Democrats unless yeah. you're voting for us, right? And but but I but I think the point is, you know, you're you're exactly right, right? Which is, you know, look, the progressives live in our party. We in order for us to win elections, they have to vote with us. Right. But mm-hmm. I don't think they control the party. Right. No. Like like like, you know. My my favorite uh, meme that I saw last night was Jim Clyburn to the rest of the world zero, right? Like, <laughs> right. right, right, right. Like 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 Jim Clyburn, you know, is not a progressive, right? He's no. you know, he's got progressive views, right? But you know, he I think Jim Clyburn represents the party a lot more than you know, say the squad. The squad is much more easy to follow on Twitter. They're better communicators. They're mm-hmm. much more new which which causes you know a lot of attention to go their way and you know they're very effective and and just before i before i go over to you mark just one last point there so here's the other juxtaposition so yes yes absolutely right like good night for centrists in ohio but also a great night for progressives you know because you know uh, cory bush is you know sort of standing in the capitol sleeping there you know, for True. four nights in a row, 
right? Bringing not just, not just, not just progressives, right? But, you know, Chuck Schumer and people there, like, you know, she, they got what they wanted, right? Like exactly. the, that was a big night. There was a big night for progressives policy wise, you know? So yeah, I mean, with a ton of Speaker Pelosi's help on that, lobbying the White House and, and everyone, at, you know, down on Pennsylvania Avenue. And it just said, you know, that's the message. It's like, Democrats and and uh, our progressives and centrists need to work together. So, and I'm really glad you made that point. We're lucky to be in a firm where we've got such great Republican colleagues who, uh, as you aptly said, keep us honest and more importantly, help our, our clients have such a rounded uh, view of how to approach uh, issues. Uh, yeah, and I, and I and I think that's a that's a good point to end on. And you know, we will bring some of our colleagues into this conversation in future shortcasts. You know, but you know, cl you know, clients need people that can represent them across the board. Absolutely. Right, like the problems in Washington D.C. aren't solved. You know, by like focusing on one or two different segments of one party, it just never works that way. So you need a yeah. broad perspective. You need people that know how to work together. You need people, you know, that can stand shoulder to shoulder and represent different parts of the party. And that's one of the reasons I love working here. Yeah, me too. All, all right. right. Well, well good. this was fun. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. So thank you all for our, our initial shortcast. We called it a podcast before, but we try to keep it short. So now it's going to be a shortcast. We are coming up with a new name for it. So if anyone's listening and you want to shoot us an email and let us know what a good name would be, uh, happy to entertain all uh, ideas. And that's a wrap. That's it. That's the life we've chosen for ourselves. Thank you. <laughs>